Bibles and go with me to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 7. I want to begin with a couple of different stories today that may seem like they have nothing to do with each other, but I hope to show you that they do. According to Forbes.com on an online article dated September the 10th of this past year, in last summer from March into June for over a month, the Equifax credit reporting agency's computer systems was hacked for over a month, and it affected over 143 million Americans. Things, sensitive data was taken from them, things like social security numbers, driver's license numbers on some birth dates, credit histories, those kind of things. It was a hacking of their system that was intended to go and capture personal individual identities to use for their own purposes, those hackers' purposes, that is. If you've ever been the victim of identity theft, you understand just how serious that breach was and that hacking event was. It, for those who have gone through that, you know that it requires incredible effort and sometimes years to get all of that kind of stuff cleared up when somebody has taken your information and hacked your identity. I want to take you to a different scenario that may, as I said, may not seem like it has anything to do with that. But I want to tell you about a young lady. I'm going to change her name. It occurred in a place a long way from here a long time ago, but it is a true story. The only thing that's not true of this is the name that I'm going to use for this young lady. Tamara, we will call her was a high school student by the time that Teresa and I met her. She was that cipher of an individual. A cipher, uh, at least in psychological terms we're talking about here, is a nothing. It's, it's worse than being a nobody. It's being a nothing as if you're not even there. And for many people at Tamara School, she was exactly that, a nothing. She was recognized by a few, but those who did recognize her made fun of her and tormented her. And she was the one in her class who was always left alone and not included in any way. She was the outcast of her school. That's where it was at school for her. And so when she came to church, we happened to be at a church in a small town that uh, essentially the same kids she went to school with came to church. And so who she was at school, which was a nobody, a nothing, uh, carried over into her church life. And she was the one who was always left out, and she was the one that kids made fun of, and she was the one that they always had some kind of a quick and ready uh, attack, verbal attack on her. You do know that by the time kids get to be eight or nine years old, they have perfected the art of identity hacking where they just go after people, or at least they can. And Tamara was that kid. People went after her. If they recognized her at all, they just went after her. At school, at church, and at home. And maybe at home is the place that we most tie into this hacking that was done on her because she came from a family that didn't want her. As a matter of fact, on more than one occasion, I heard her mother say to her these words, I don't want you. You're worthless. I don't know why I even bothered to have you. I just don't know why you're even here. 
By the time she got to be in high school, that relationship with her mother had so soured that she had gone to live with another family member. And that other family member was doing the best that she could to help take care of Tamara, but the damage was done because by the time she got to be 14 or 15 years of age, Tamara had begun to believe what people said about her. She had begun to internalize that she was a nobody and that her life did not count. She began to recognize that what the world around her said of her must be true, and so therefore she began to live a life that was marked by those identity tags on her. She started looking for any kind of acceptance that she could find. And as you could imagine, there are those, always there are those, who are willing because they're on their own pointless chase for meaning and fulfillment that they'll use other people as quickly as they can and then discard them, and that's how Tamara lived her life. Whether you get hacked in a computer system where people steal your identity or you get hacked from verbal comments and treatment by other people that seem to rob your identity of who you are, the reality is that all of us face identity hacking. And the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes gives us a little insight into that. He talks about the reality of that and how we can combat that. So I want you to join me today as we take another step with the preacher as he chases fulfillment and meaning in life and he gives us this insight into how we deal with people who do not talk nicely of us or to us. I know that probably doesn't hit any of us in this room. Everybody loves you. I'm sure that nobody ever would. Okay, well, let's go ahead and be real and say that that's not the case. Let's read. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 20 through 22, we read these words. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. And we're going to come to that passage in just a few minutes, but let me double down and make sure that we all recognize what we're talking about. In that Equifax break-in that we talked about, those identity hackers came in. They wanted to have their way with your information so that it could benefit them regardless of the cost to you. Those people who went attacking this girl that I called Tamara today went after her identity because it benefited them and they didn't care what it cost her. Identity hacking is commonplace in our world today, just like it was in the time of the writer of Ecclesiastes' life. We better figure out how we're going to deal with that because you're not going to be able to get away from it. So here's what he says. Back to verse 21. We're going to spend most of our time in verse 21 today. But notice what he says. This is, this, he gives us this implied, and yet it's a reality that all of us know and none of us like. Here's the reality. People are going to talk about you. Now, I know that some of us are convinced that we're okay. And so when we hear that comment, people are going to talk about you, we may well default to, well, sure, they're going to talk about me. I'm the greatest thing that ever happened in this planet. And I agree with you. No, I don't. Um, but the reality is we may have some things going for us and some people may well brag on us and in doing that try to take that part of identity and convince us that we have it going. But most of the time what we face in this identity hacking that I'm talking about today is detractors. And they sit, on, sit in on us and, and they set in on us and they say things like, you don't matter 
Or maybe they're a little more sophisticated than that, and so they, they've tried to tack and hack our identity by saying, you're ugly, or you're lazy, or you're not going to amount to anything. We hear that kind of stuff all the time, sometimes even within our own families. Those are all attempts by other people to identify who you are, to try to hang something on you that keeps you from achieving that point of awareness of what Jesus Christ has to say about you, and we're going to close when we get to that. But the reality is people are going to talk about you. I mentioned this last week. I'm going to bring it back today, and I won't bring it back next week. But that old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, is a flat-out lie. And we know it's a flat-out lie because somebody was hurt enough to come up with that crazy saying. Somebody was hurt enough by somebody else's words to come up with a cute little rhyming thing that was trying to distance themselves. But the reality is when people set in on you with words, it hacks your identity and it try, they try to determine who you're going to be for you. That's the background that we find in verse 21. Don't take to heart all the things that people say. I could just stop there. We'll move to the end of it here in just a few moments. But the reality is that words do hurt. And as we work our way through life, if we allow those words into the depths of who we are, they begin to define us. So you will never amount to anything becomes a mantra in the background of a kid's head. He has to climb that mountain every day of his life after that. We need to be careful what we say, but that's really not what this is about. Today, it's less about what we have to say to other people. This is about how we process what other people say about us. And people are going to talk. That's just the bottom line. Be careful, he says, that you don't listen too closely. Don't take to heart all the things that people say may well be that some of us are sitting here today and we hear this and go, well, but you know, if I could just get high enough, if I could just move my way up the food chain, if I could get this promotion or get that corner office, if I could just get that particular office, sooner or later I'll get enough power, I'll get enough money, I'll get enough prestige that everybody will accept me for who I really am, which is, well, I don't really know who I am because I've been chasing this dream of getting somewhere and some status in life. And in that chase, if it's improperly focused, what we begin to find is that other people want to define us. He says, don't listen too closely to that. And just so you know, the word curse there, that latter part of verse 21, means grumbling or slander. I heard a pastor, a couple of pastors actually were talking one day, and uh, one of them was whining to the other. This is a true story, by the way. I heard it with my own four ears. And, and uh, he said, one to the other was whining to him about, you know, I just, I, this people in our church, man, this one particular guy and several others, they, they just keep hacking on me. They just keep trying to say that I'm no good and I'm horrible this and I can't do that. And he said, I just, it's just weighing me down. That's an identity hack. He's just weighing me down. The other guy looked at him. He said, have you not figured out yet that some people don't even qualify to have an opinion that's worth listening to? Okay, just so you know, that's an identity hack too. 
You see how easily that stuff fits into the way we live. In order to make sense of what this attack that's coming at me, I often turn the attack around and say, well, you don't matter enough for your opinion to be heard. It's a hack, and both sides are trying to say, you don't matter, or this is not pleasing. One of the hardest things for a pastor to do is to know who to listen to and who not to listen to. Because there are always those people who are going to say, one side of the equation, you're okay as a pastor. Others are going to say, you're terrible as a pastor. Maybe you should find another profession. And so one of the things that I've had to do with young ministers as we work our way through and try to train them up, I've tried to say to them, you need to know who you are before you ever get into this. Because once you get into this, other people are going to try to dictate to you who you are. I don't think that that's limited to ministry. I think that that's part of everyday life for every one of us. People in our world are trying to hack into your identity for their own purposes in order to make you what they want you to be. And if you don't know who you are, you're capable of a lot of stuff you didn't think you were. So how do we deal with that? Well, let's start with verse 21 again and look at what he says, because I think that he pushes us into the answer right off the bat, verse 21. Do not take to heart. Don't, in other words, take what other people say and internalize it into yourself and say, just because they said it, it must be true. What he's saying to us is, let me put it in a different way. What we have to understand is that if we're going to allow somebody else to dictate who we are, we have to be willing participants in that hack. In other words, if this individual, whether it's a mom or a dad or some other family member or a boss or a teacher or a coach or a friend or even just an acquaintance who somebody else says, I, and they don't ever say it this way, but their intent is, I'm going to say who you are and if you'll believe it, then I win. So you're fat or you're ugly or you're never going to amount to anything. In order for that to work, You have to be a willing participant in that. You have to give them credence that what they say is truth. But but here's the sinister part of that. One of the reasons that people do that to one another is because they're in a wrongly focused uh, chase already. They're trying to figure out who they are. And so they begin to define themselves by how they can define you. You have to be a willing participant. And you give them the deciding voice in who you are. You don't have to do that. It's one of my favorite stuff that came off of TV. A number of years ago, many of you will remember the television program that was entitled Candid Camera. And Candid Camera was around when I was a kid, and uh, eventually it went away. But a, a few years after it went off the airwaves, then somebody tried to revive it, and they brought it back. And you know how that goes. They have a gag. They have something going where they have a camera crew that's hidden, and they're filming what's going on, and they set somebody up to get some kind of humorous response from them. So the gag in this particular one, it occurred in a a convenience store, and the clerk for that convenience store was in on the gag, and so what they were trying to do is catch customers and get them on film, you know, just however they 
responded. And here was the way they did that. The deal was a customer would come in and buy something. That was back in the days when we paid cash most of the time. And so they'd come in and buy something, and when they paid their money for whatever it was, if they had any change due to them, they didn't get it. So the gag was the clerk would take their money business and walk off and leave the person there not getting their change. This way, let me make sure you got it. If you, pay, if you bought something for $1.98, you gave him a $20 bill, he would put the $20 bill in the cash register, turn around and walk off and leave you standing there $18.02 short. And the, the responses from people were what you would expect for last week's sermon on anger. <laughs> I mean, people... You got to, it's amazing how much a quarter change can set people off. And it went one person after another, and it was fairly humorous. But what really got me, and the reason I remember that to this day, was the last guy that they showed. Because he walks in, and he buys something, and he gives them money. He doesn't get his change. The guy shuts the cash register, turns around, walks off, thank you for your business. And the guy stands there. He's looking around. He just shrugs his shoulders, and he walks off like nothing ever happened. That's far different from everybody else that had gone before him. And so the producers, because they didn't get the response they wanted, they went outside and caught him on the sidewalk, and they filmed this response. And they said to him, hey, why, why did you respond like that? He said, what are you talking about? Well, he didn't give you your change. He said, I know. He said, well, why didn't that upset you? He said, you know, I just determined a long time ago, I'm not going to let anybody else rent space in my head. And I thought at the time, and I still think, that is a brilliant response to people who want to define you. You don't have to look very far or pay attention very long to hear somebody telling you how you could be better or should be better or how bad you are. The guy's response is much like what the preacher says in verse 21. Don't take it to heart. You can hear it come in, but you don't have to swallow it. You can know that they're saying that, but you don't have to buy into it. Don't let them rent space in your head. I would love to tell you how many hours I've spent on sleepless nights working through the comments of people that have been made about me, usually not to my face, but about me through the years as a pastor. It's high profile. That's what you get. If you're in a high-profile position, that's what you get. You better learn how to deal with it. I'd love to tell you how many hours I've lost of sleep like that, but I, there's no way I could begin to recount that until finally I realized, don't let them rent space in your head. People, hear me carefully, those people don't define you. And if you let them define you, then you're a willing participant in whatever you end up being. There is a better way. And so if you find yourself locked into that, let me give you a couple of very quick suggestions on how to work through it. Here's the first one. Filter what they say. And particularly, I want you to filter it for truth. We begin this with an awareness that there's room for growth, that I have room for growth. So in other words, when people come at me or at you with something like this and they're trying to hack into who you are and dictate to you who you are and usually that's negative connotation, then filter that for truth, recognizing 
that you do have room for some growth in there. None of us are perfect. None of us are Jesus Christ living perfect lives. So we all have room for growth. By the way, that's verse 20 and 22. Let me read those again for you. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Verse 22, your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. In other words, he's saying to us, when you find yourself as a victim of people coming at you in an identity hack kind of a way, you make sure you begin with the awareness of, I have not arrived. I have room to grow in my life. That's going to come in handy for us in just a second. But let me stop there for just a moment and say, when they come at you, and you recognize, you begin from the vantage point that says, I have room for growth in my life, that keeps you from having to be defensive about what they said. I'll say it two different ways. Just because someone says something about you does not make it true. Just because they say that with force doesn't make it true. But here's the corollary to that. Just because they say something about you doesn't make it untrue either. I'm going to let that sink in for a minute. Just because someone says something about you doesn't mean that they're right. So you need to filter that for truth. And so is it true? Is, is what they say about me? I, I use this in counseling a lot with people because so many people come and they're going, I, my life is a wreck because this is what they say about me. And I, my first question, I'm full of mercy in the way I ask this, I'm sure. Well, do you believe it? Well, yeah, well, no, I don't believe it. I said, okay, so is it true? And if it's true, then you need to take that and you need to change. Okay, so in other words, if someone is hacking on you and it's, you're not sure if it's true or not, you need to find out. Go with me, just keep your place here. Go with me back to the book of 2 Samuel. This will be about halfway back to Genesis from where we are. In 2 Samuel chapter 16, we pick up the story of David. He has been deposed from his throne. His son, Absalom, has thrown a coup on him uh, against his uh, ruling authority there, and David has been kicked off the throne. David, remember, Scripture says, is a man after God's own heart. This is, a, this is quite a guy. But he's not just this squeaky clean kind of a character either. David has his own history, and we know most of that, and I could spend the time establishing that, but let me jump into the passage because now he's on the backside of the wilderness. He's on the run from his son Absalom because Absalom now has taken over the throne. David's running for his life through the backcountry, and as he does that, he and a few of his men, he comes up against this guy, this peasant named Shemai. And Shammai begins to just hammer David. Talk about an identity hack. Shammai comes in and he begins to call him names. Well, let's just pick up reading what we said. Verse 8, verse 7. And Shammai said as he cursed, get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. That's an identity hack. This is the king, by the way. And he's telling him all this bad stuff of who he is. It's identity focus. Verse 8, the Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. Identity hack. Verse 9, this is the guy. This is how we know there were road trammels in the Old Testament. Then Abishai, the son of Zariah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. You want that guy on your team, don't you? When we tend to be attacked, 
attacking back seems to be the right way. David has other plans, though. Verse 10, but the king said, What have I to do with you, you son of Zariah? If he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, Curse David, who then shall say, Why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite, Benjaminite leave him alone and let him curse for the Lord has told him to. It's an amazing response from the king who could have said, don't you know who I am? I'm, I'm one of God's choice servants. They're going to be talking about me in Scripture for centuries after this. Don't you know who I am? But instead... David gives us good example, I think, of what the writer of Ecclesiastes would say in this different way. Filter for truth. If what they say is not true, let it go. If what they say is true, let it make you better. Let it make you be better. Filter for truth. But as you do that, you don't need to swallow their motive and their control for you or their identity hack because they're just trying to find themselves. You, you take what you take from that and you filter the truth out so that it enhances you as a follower of Jesus Christ. Let it make you better. Let me close with this. When we come to look through these things, it's important that we recognize that when people call us things and do things to us that are intended to redefine us, we have to know who we are. The chase that he's been talking about in this book of Ecclesiastes all along gets us to this point. Who are you, really? What are you chasing in life? How do you figure out who you are? Let me take you to a famous passage of Scripture that you need to use and hang on to as the one that defines you. In John chapter 3, verse 16, we find these words, For God so loved the world. Now, I'm going to just, you know how this, we've done this in cute ways and other ways, but let me just lay it this way. Take the world out of there and just put your name in there. For God so loved you, that he gave his only son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Here's who you are. If you're not sure and you walked in there and you've been listening to what other people say about who you are all your life, let me help you settle it today. If you're going to listen to anybody, listen to, to God. Listen to Jesus Christ. Listen to Scripture when it says God loved you so much that he sent his son who became a man who lived a perfect life and was horribly killed in a fashion none of us would be comfortable watching if we had to see it in front of us today. And he did that and he went to the grave and he conquered death and he rose from the grave and he has ascended. He's at the right hand of God today and he did all of that because of his deep love for you. You want to know who you are, who your identity is? You're the one that God says, that's my kid, and I'll do anything I can 
to win their heart. So those other people who say that you're less than what you should be, they may or may not be right about that. But they don't see you like God sees you. As a matter of fact, Edgardo came into my office after the first service. I always preach better sermons when other preachers are helping me. Here's what he said. He said, I started, when you were talking about that, I started thinking about the book of Ephesians. And let me just read a few verses for you out of Ephesians 1. You want to know who you are? Listen to what Paul says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoptions for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In other words, Paul zeroes in on what we're talking about. You want to know who you are? You're the adopted son of Jesus Christ because of God's love for you if you choose to let that be your identity. So if you're in here today and you don't know who Jesus is, You're not even sure who you are or who you're going to be. John, the gospel, Paul, the writer, and Jesus the Christ says, there is an identity for you in Jesus Christ that makes life worth living. The writer of Ecclesiastes eventually is going to get us to the point where we recognize that unless we find ourselves in God, we don't find ourselves at all. Have you found yourself? Even though other people are trying to hack your identity, have you found yourself in Jesus Christ? And if you haven't, the good news is that you can today. Before this service is over, and by the way, it's just about over. Before it's over, you can know Jesus Christ and the love that he has for you, and it'll turn your life around. Let's pray. And as we pray, I'm going to ask you to take the message and internalize it. Are you letting the voice of God through Jesus Christ be the one that determines who you are today? Are you allowing people who don't even know who they are to have the final say about that? Maybe you're fighting some battles like my friend Tamara I talked about. I can assure you, people may let you down, but God will never do that. But you've got to take a step to him. You've got to receive the gift that he has given to you in Jesus Christ. We want to help you do that in this time. So, Father, use this time and change lives for your glory that people would find ourselves in you today and we'd find the life that only you can give us. Those voices that we've heard and we've internalized and we've allowed to have way too much volume in saying who we are, we pray that you would deal with that in a way that's gracious for us and merciful and let it fade into the background noise of our lives as we look full into your face. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing. You come.